Just a quick warning that we're going to be talking about existentialism and death as per usual, along with some cracked eggs for you fellow vegans out there. It might get gross. Uh, so if you're not in the mood for that, just skip these next few episodes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Hopeless Endeavor, a Joanna Mason podcast. My name is Sam. My name is Nikki. Welcome. Hello. Hi. What are we talking about today, Sam? We're talking about goose eggs. Goose eggs. What a time. I have mixed emotions going into this recording session. We were talking a tiny bit before we started recording, but from what I gather, this is neither Sam nor my favorite song Mm -hmm. on Divers. We still love it, though, because it's obviously still a part of Divers and what is not to love about Divers? Nothing. So Mm -hmm. there's that. I remember distinctly the first time hearing this song and being like, this is such a change of pace from like the musical vibe that was happening before. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden it sounds like medievally with its like, um, I forget what the technique's called. We've talked about it before, but just like the, the sound of it sounds medievally mm-hmm. yeah i don't know what are your preliminary first impression thoughts of this song um as per usual i don't understand it at all <laughs> yeah. so first impression is confusion yeah um it does have one and i know we've said this a zillion times too i love when she's silly like when she sings just plain vamoose, <laughs> I lose it. Yeah. Like I remember seeing her with you. I don't know if it was in Toronto or if it was in Buffalo. Um, but when she sang that line, just like losing it, <laughs> <laughs> like, breaking down into like racking sobs. <laughs> vamoose. Like, That's so cute. It's so ridiculous. Um, no, not my favorite, um, but... I'm excited to get into it. Um, I know that it is some people's favorites. Like my friend Audrey, they – it was like the first song that they pointed out as being like a standout diver song. And I remember being so confused by that. So I know that it it really does have appeal for some people. Like like I don't mean – yeah. It really does have like initial appeal for some people. I'm just going to let my dog out. Okay, yeah. so I do, I know that it has this like initial draw for at least some people. Um, I just wasn't, at least at first, one of them. And yeah, I don't know what the fuck this song's about. I don't know. I don't know. I have more theories now than I did when I started researching for the podcast. But like, pfft. yeah, to be honest, most of my research, I went into a weird pro hole, um, <laughs> but also just have so many things about geese. <laughs> Perfect, though. Yay. One of my questions is like, I have one theory about the goose connection, but then mm. I'm like, she's not just doing it for this one reason. What's the other goose connection? Yeah, that's where I got stuck. Like, why the goose? Why does it have to be goose eggs? So, like, yeah, 
I think this is on Genius. And I know it's also on Blessing of the Birds that um, uh, Melissa or Rachel or contributors on Genius have tied um, goose eggs to baby birch and to maybe this is just me, but to anecdotes. I feel like we talked a lot about eggs and anecdotes. I have like Humpty Dumpty question mark in my notes. Yeah, I don't remember why. Um, yeah, I'm going to venture that my closest connection to this song is Go Long because mm. of Perot, um, but also for a few other reasons. Um, is it the same Perot? It is, Nikki. I didn't know that. Okay, this is why. <laughs> Perot, in their, like, ridiculous um, writing of so many, like, pre... Uh, sorry, I'm not feeling 100% today, so my brain is so slow. <laughs> um, like, pre-children's literature. Like, so Perot wrote... Um, not fairy tales, but yeah, I guess fairy tales, um, before it was cool to write them for children. So he wrote <laughs> in like the 1600s, like, um, specifically mother goose tales oh. for adults before writing for children was a thing. Okay. Um, so from mother goose, I went there. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, I thought so because we talked about Perot so much in the Go Long episodes because of Bluebeard. That's but right. But it turns out there's a lot of similar themes. Before we get into that, I wanted to read you a dozen fascinating facts about goose eggs. Ah, okay. I'm, I am here for it. Okay. Are... And this is from a very legitimate source, uh... the Fresh Eggs Daily blog. <laughs> Perfect. Oh my god, of course that exists. Uh, a female goose starts laying eggs when she's about nine months old. She's like a little baby. You're, you're a little baby and you're laying <laughs> eggs already? I'm not going to read all of these. So many of these are just measurements and facts about eating <laughs> goose eggs, which we're not going to do on this episode. We will not be eating eggs, no. Mm -mm. Geese lay white eggs. Um, the shell of a goose egg makes up about 12% of the total weight. Of the egg? Of the egg. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> geese lay their eggs in straw. Okay. Uh-huh. Goose egg ch eggs hatch best under a mother goose versus in an incubator. Like, Ooh, yeah, sure. Uh -huh. It can take up to three days for a gosling to emerge from the egg after making the first pip. Oh. A pip being like a little... Well, I guess. A little crack. I guess. All right. Um, okay. I think that's it. I didn't read all 12 of them because so much are, are like calories. A goose egg takes 28 to 35 days to hatch. Okay. It's a pretty good Not incubation bad. period. Uh-huh. Um, what else do I have about geese? Hmm. How about the significance of goose eggs? Hmm. The only thing I know about the significance of goose eggs, and it's the one thing that I can glean from this song that informs my understanding of it, 
is that a goose egg is a colloquial way of saying zero. Oh, yes. Okay. So mm-hmm. that is, that's my main insight into this episode. Beyond that. That's a lovely insight. Yeah. I don't have that much. Uh, also, it can be a bump on someone's head when you get a goose yes. egg from getting clonked. Yeah. yeah. We use so many like colloquial terms like that. Um, hold on. Let me scroll. Two sayings. To have a gander oh, is to right. look at something. Uh-huh. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> yes. Saying that someone's goose is cooked means they're about to be punished. Why are we so obsessed with geese? This is so weird. I'm halfway through the list. <laughs> Silly goose. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, the goose that lays the golden egg from Aesop's Fables. That's right. A wild goose chase. <laughs> mother goose uh-huh and then the ones that you mentioned the it, a goose egg meaning zero which actually isn't on this list and um hitting your head and having a big old bump on it as a goose egg that is fascinating and super bizarre of us as humans so sorry i need to let ozzy in again he's being insane no that's okay he has I... something to say about geese he's got big feelings so if you weren't aware of it before, you are now. <laughs> yeah. Geese are everywhere. Geese are everywhere. They're woven into the very fabric of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, geese can symbolize wealth and good fortune, a journey or adventure, or adventure in life, a long, happy life with many descendants to follow after you pass away. Oh, that's, that's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, geese as like great at working in teams. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not know that about geese. Well, I just think of like how they fly and like bees. Oh yeah, that's in the right. Sky, that's right. right. Yeah, they're they're hanging out together. They're going the same they direction. Like take turns in that like lead position, and yeah, mm-hmm. okay, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I'm very curious about. The symbolism of geese and also just like the theme of this song. So like just to put all my cards out on the table now and then like mm-hmm. I will try to justify these claims as we go through the episode. But um, one of the things that I think this song is about or at least one of the themes that um, I see in my interpretation popping up throughout the song is and the album is the theme of existential dread and nothingness and so I Mm -hmm. take like the title of the song goose eggs to be really significant in that it's like just all a big nothing right Mm -hmm. which makes me shockingly think of in the Sopranos Livia Soprano (laughs) saying that life is all a big nothing and so sorry what show what are you what are you talking about (laughs) you wouldn't know so Just kidding. Um, okay, yeah. So uh obviously there's a soprano scene, but yeah, just like the idea that this is all a big nothing and that we make we try at least to make like pottery, we try to like make our mark, we try to do productive things while we're here, but like all that happens or like all that is left is nothing. And it all sort of amounts to nothing, it all means nothing. Uh 
or something like that. Like not, yeah, I don't want it to be, to sound like it's as definitive as I'm making it sound. Um, but like there is some sort of theme of nothingness. So whether that's that it all amounts to a big nothing or that we're like constantly having to push against the nothing, something like that. And then maybe also that we get like clobbered over the head with this dread and this information and this like having to fight against it all being a big nothing and hence the goose egg bump on the head sort of connotation. Yeah. I really like that double meaning. That's my working theory. I don't know. I find this song very difficult. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said about the image of the, um, of the egg shell in the first verse too, right? That like, um, very much everything you just mentioned, but also that like everything is delicate, everything is fragile. Um, yeah, you know, getting hit on the head can be the end of it. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, totally. And then like all the things that I'm sure we'll talk about: fertility and yes. cycles of life and death and loss and um, what else is on our list. Oh, yeah. I feel like we didn't go back to the list as much as we could have in the last episode. I agree. Um, so maybe I'll just um, scan through this quick. So again, we made the list, this list in, I guess, during anecdotes. And as we've been moving through, we've been adding things to it. So um, main themes of this album, but also questions that we think she might be asking or answers that she has. So main themes of, these are very general, cycles, forces, relationships, and power. We have notes on twinning, or we have questions like what battle is being fought, who is narrating, who is remembered, who is forgotten, how is this a love song, mm. um, what kind of movement is happening, um, how might typical gender roles play into that movement? Which binaries are working together or pulling apart? What is she trying to accomplish? Which seems like too big of a question. <laughs> and yeah, then does. cycles. All right. So we're definitely going to touch on a lot of those themes in this song, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To ignore that. Um. So on Blessing All the Birds, uh, Melissa Marturano writes that Goose Eggs connects us once again to the theme of war and relationships that we see imbued with an exploration of gender in anecdotes, sapokonikin, and divers. The story of Goose Eggs documents the breakdown of a, of a relationship by war. It seems most obvious that this relationship would be a romantic one, the old veil of desire, but the narrator refers to the other person in the relationship as friend and refers to herself as friend, and that seems significant. Of course, people can be intimate partners and friends. Um, and then touching on the movement theme that, uh, that we have on that list that you just read off, Sam, uh, Michael Hicks from uh, of the Medium Joanna Newsom Articles fame. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he one has of our favorite. One of our favorites. Um, he has an article on uh, goose eggs and he cool. writes throughout divers we see things descending to earth little leaves poor flight attendants hot dogging loons daredevilish pilots at first glance however goose eggs appears to focus more on taking flight lifting off rather than landing 
So we have that sort of opposite direction of movement. He writes that it's light-footed instrumental overture almost makes you want to hop along like a pioneering astronaut. Aeronaut, yeah. he says. But yeah. I really like that Michael Hicks pointed out the different direction immediately because I feel like that makes a lot of sense with the musicality of this song. Yeah. Um, considering, you know, you switch from the last song to this one and it's quite abrupt. Um, totally. So I like that that really forces us to think about, with Michael Hicks's help, the movement here. Um, cool. Yeah, really cool. Um, the genius sort of, like all things considered statement about like the song as a whole uh, says that there is another shift in style here. Um, here Newsom borrows Rococo ornamentation to detail relationships and the effect time has on them through the conceit of eggshells. The Baroque coloring lends a purposeful antiquated feeling to the song. This relates to the album's governing theme of time by alluding to the musical styles of the past, the musical remnants of the 1700s, like the statues of Ramesses and the rusting monument to John Perry Mitchell, will be, are gone, with the people who pioneered them, living only through the contemplation of subsequent gen generations. This leads to the common trope of lyrical dissonance, through, uh, though when taken with the lyrics, the music is lent a bittersweet meaning. Uh, similarly, the musical snapshots of the later half of the album is prolipsized? Prolipsized? Prolipsized. Uh, by this antiquation. The fourth track on the album, Goose Eggs, offers a certain degree of catharsis in that it differs from the broad and sweeping exegetical, exegesis, exegetical. This person's got a great vocabulary. <laughs> they really do. Um, the broad and sweeping exegetical studies in time found on anecdotes and sapoconican and dichotomizes with the doom-laden and foreboding canvas of leaving the city. That is true. Like, as you had pointed out, Sam, there is this, like, total dichotomy between the two songs where leaving the city is, like, heavy and dark and ends in this very, like, foreboding way. And then all of a sudden we're thrust into goose eggs, which is like, do, 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 do. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it's so crazy all of a sudden. Yeah. It is so crazy all of a sudden. And I really like, what did he call it? What was the movement that Michael Hicks said? Uh, um, let me just go back to my notes here. He aeronaut? Said, a pioneering aeronaut or something? Yes. Yeah. At first glance, Goose Eggs appears to focus more on taking flight, lifting off rather than landing. It's a light-footed instrumental overture almost makes you want to hop along like a pioneering aeronaut. That's so cool. <laughs> I wonder if that could be an alternate title to the song. A pioneer and Aeronaut. That's funny. That's really, that's a great, um, a great, great thing. <laughs> so in that, the Blessing All the Birds article that you read, I like that. Um, so it was called Delving into, it's part of the Delving into Divers series. And Melissa starts off the article with her interpretation and then Rachel goes into it in the next few verses. Um, and Rachel connects the song a lot more to Baby Birch, which I obviously love. Mm -hmm. um, and Rachel says, in Baby Birch, the narrator rejects the notion of a child represented in the image of the goose eggs. 
and Goose Egg's our narrator recalls a conversation with a friend in which they spoke of the scrambling of broken hopes and Goose Eggs and a stranger long ago. I would argue that Goose Eggs here represent those broken hopes for the relationship with the stranger long ago. Hmm. In other words, they are what they could have been. Sorry, they are what could have been. I would also argue with due warning that this may or may not be upsetting to you depending on your reading of Baby Birch that the goose eggs here also represent implicitly a lost child or at least the thought of a child within a relationship that was ultimately doomed. Mm. I don't know how I feel about that yet. I might. Like, I don't know how explicitly childbirth and Having a child and eggs are tied in this song. I might change my opinion as I'm, I'm sure I will as we move through here. Um, yeah, but I just like that connection. Yeah, it's a cool thing to keep in mind at least. And yeah, I'm going to also remain agnostic about it until we get further into it just because who knows where our conversation is going to lead us. Not I. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I ne- we never do. No, we don't. Um. Okay. <clears throat> Do we get right into the research? Yeah. I just want to say one more thing of about course. Perot and Mother Goose. Absolutely. Yeah. So the connection to um, uh, goose eggs and Perot is um, because you looked up like geese symbolism and one of the things is Mother Goose is like a big cultural. Is that right? Yes. So Perot, we know from bluebeard but also from sleeping beauty i feel i forget which song we talked about so Perot wrote um sleeping beauty and cinderella and mother goose tales and bluebeard and a few other like classic fairy tales um so mother goose was originally published in 1695 and then republished in 1786 in english in america um I think one of the reasons, okay, I'm just going to read this from Wikipedia and I'm sure you will see why I love this. Um, So Perot writes um, a lot of tales about morality, a lot about Christian teaching, um, a lot of stories. Oh, he also wrote fucking Little Red Riding Hood. Oh. Which was written... Okay, so Little Red Riding Hood teaches children the dangers of disobedience. He also wrote Puss in Boots, which teaches boys to be heroic and witty in spite of low social stature and small size. So a lot of Perot's tales were, in, from what I understand, intentionally written as like guidelines for morality and gender mm-hmm. at the time. Okay. Again, they weren't written initially for children. They were written for... Um, because his writing was like really flourished, it was for like the upper classes to read and enjoy upper classes of adults. Right. Um, and, oh, there's a thing here about Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, who was born in guilt, suffers the sin of curiosity, is punished with a century of sleep as penance before being allowed to return to live in the world. After her return, she is subordinate to the prince who wakens her. Uh, women who suffer the sin of pride are punished and some women such as sleeping beauty's mother are depicted as evil so all of these like guidelines for how you're supposed to act um the choices you're supposed to make as a woman as a man um 
are outlined by Perot in these tales. Yeah. Um, the last little thing I wanted to say, and I just really like this little little hidden hidden goose egg, <laughs> um, is that there is a statue of a flying mother goose um, installed in 1938 in New York Central Park. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really cool. It's fucking fascinating to me how <laughs> all those tales that you named, I think all of them, insofar as I remember them, mm-hmm. like the main character are like little girls or women. It yeah. never occurred to me that, that that he was making such an attempt, like such a deliberate attempt to make a comment on gender like that. Like sometimes, you know, like the like warnings about doing your gender right are like more implicit or something but he seems to have yeah just in the choosing of his characters as being these women or girls seems to like at least somewhat intentionally be setting out to give us a message to stay in place (laughs) so I read this paper which I was hoping would have more for us but it didn't end up having it's called (laughs) women subdued the objectification and purification of female characters in Perot's tales ah a lot of it was in French, so I didn't get as much from it um, as I had hoped. But the uh, thesis of this paper is that um, – so the author is Anne E. Duggan, and she said, For Perot, women indeed inarchate the object, and in order to alleviate any threat women pose to male authority or the general body, they must either be expelled from the public sphere – or put through a process of purification that renders them powerless and reintegrates them as passive vessels into the domestic order of the family, an order guaranteed by a male and implicitly Catholic authority. Hmm. So that all of these stories, all of these fairy tales that he's writing treat women in one of two ways. They're either kicked out, you're booted out of society, or you must be purified and... um rendered helpless under the authority of a Catholic Christian man. Um, yeah. Super interesting. I think, yeah. Yeah. No, it was a cool paper. It just didn't have as much. Direct. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also, I'm going to keep in mind from what you just said, I'm going to keep in mind the idea of women as vessels as we're going mm-hmm. through this song. Um, I know that, it refers explicitly to a vessel, but also just the idea of like the eggshell is a vessel. I don't know. We'll see if mm. I can make any connection <laughs> as we go through. Yeah. I like the idea of the transformation from like a really delicate vessel within an egg to um, a stronger woman to somehow. It's a cool transformation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think that's all I have about geese. About geese. Okay. I thought you said about geese. And I was like, wait. Mm. <laughs> I mean, we can go back there. <laughs> um, okay. Shall I read the first verse? Yeah. Go for it. All right. Where are my lyrics here? Okay. <clears throat> so she writes and sings and that's it. <clears throat> what we built... At the kiln that won't be stilled, did not set well, colon, the old veil of desire, like the vessels that we fired, fell thin as eggshells. 
Okay. So I'm going to stop there. We will analyze and return. For me, one of the first things that this just like brings to mind is Waltz of the 101st Lightborn. Mm. And it's because in that song, we have this image of like a society having um, sent troops up into the sky. And so that same like upward movement I find to be echoed in this song or like I guess they echo each other. And so I'm getting this from the part in Waltz where she sings, um, I saw his ship in its whistling ascension as they launched from the capital seat. Swear I saw a mistake when the clouds draped like a flag across the backs of the fleet um, of the 101st Lightborn Elite. And so we have this image of these like vessels going up into the sky uh, in that song and yeah there's just like there's a few other connections between waltz and goose eggs that i see but this is the first one um i'm not sure if what you think about that sam um i haven't looked at waltz lyrics in a long time yeah to be honest that's fair um hmm. and it just makes I mean, me i don't disagree yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know i don't even know what my like thesis is exactly here my like statement my claim uh, but just the idea that like we're already getting this like doom, this like dark image here, sort of said as like a uh just like off offhandedly is that what I'm trying to say offhandedly, just like not dwelled upon, but still presented in this dark way where like the vessels that we fired. Well, I guess I should back up. First of all, the vessels that we fired might refer to like pottery vessels, right? That mm -hmm. um, uh, didn't set well as she as she's talking about in this verse. But I think that there might also be this double entendre of like the vessels as in like the rocket ships or whatever that had people in them that we fired up into the sky having fallen from the sky having dived dove down to earth mm -hmm. um as thin and as you had said before like fragile as eggshells um yeah i don't know i like that i like both um suppositions of vessel here um i like the idea that maybe it's something that was um put in the kiln that didn't set well and i like the idea that maybe not like something that was physically shot into the sky but like a hope um that was shot wasn't as strong as you'd hope so i think my theory for this first verse is based on some kind of relationship i know um i think melissa and rachel on that delving into divers post went back and forth about like is this like a friendship um, is the relationship in this song talking about friendship? Is it talking about a more romantic focused relationship? I don't know if I have a theory about that, but yeah. I think in this first verse, my impression is that like, okay, so what we built, we have a we. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that implies some kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, but whatever we had tried to build 
together whatever we had put into the kiln for an amount of time, the kiln that won't be stilled, that goes on forever, it didn't set well. Yeah. So whatever our intentions were for this relationship didn't, didn't end up very well. Um, and now looking back on that, looking at the vessel that we fired, um, it feels really thin. So like maybe whatever effort we put in was not was not as strong as we had hoped, was not like impure, as pure intentioned as we had hoped. Um, yeah. So it didn't, it didn't last as, as long as we had intended it to, or that we weren't like as invested looking back, we weren't as invested as we thought we were. Yeah. Like it um, wasn't as solid as we thought or that exactly. we had hoped it would be. Yeah. It was yeah. flimsier. Totally. I think that there's, there's, yeah, just, just my, like, impression of it. I'm very open to, in, to different interpretations, though, because the song is baffling to me. But I get the relationship vibe here that, like, is falling apart. But I also think that there's this simultaneous theme of, like, this sort of, like, existentialism that we were talking about before and I think that in this song, it might be instantiated in the form of, like, considering why humans over and over again, like, go to war and, like, fight these fights. Or, like, even considering the ways in which going to war and fighting these fights can be destructive of relationships, which, like, might be the only thing that matters. And so... Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons, at least, why I think I get that waltz vibe, which is sort of explicitly talking about war. Um, like when she says, um, uh, the, in the last of the great wars after three, we had narrowly won, but the fourth it was carelessly, carelessly done. But yeah, so anyways, I totally get the relationship vibe and like that relationship was not as solid as we wanted it to be. And then I also sort of get this there's just like so many different meanings going on about like what this first verse could possibly be referring to and so yeah another interpretation for me at least is just that we fired these vessels into the sky in our war uh this like potential colonizing between us and our ghosts that's happening in in waltz and that shit fell thin as eggshells too I like that too. I like the idea that we can think both on the greater scale of war and then on the like micro scale of two people in a relationship. Yeah. Um, that this destructive force drove us apart. I also just think that idea of relationships being destroyed by war is something that we haven't come across so explicitly yet right totally yeah we haven't what do you think of the old veil of desire um i don't know <laughs> i don't know what i think what do you think so in my notes here i tied it to um like the saying to lift the veil mm -hmm. so there's kind of two different motions falling here so we have the old veil of desire like the vessels that we fired fell thin as eggshells 
So to lift the veil is to like reveal something. I think falling could also be revealing something. Um, what am I trying to say? Yeah, I think I was thinking of it as, as this, like looking back on an early relationship and, um, you know, the visual of just taking your pottery out of the kiln and realizing, like pulling it out and it fell immediately and comparing that to, um, like how weak your desire was for each other. And I guess you could tie that to greater existential things too, right? That like, um, mm, what do I want to say? Go brain, go. Um, let's go. Yeah, no, I could see that tying to existentialism, like the veil of desire that we had. There's like this, like this way of looking at life, which is like, look, I want to, you know, grow up and have a good job and then like go buy a house and like have a family. And then like existential dread sets in and you're like, why, why do I want any of this? Like why? Yeah. And what is it all worth? What is it all worth and for? And like, what, what are we all doing here? Mm -hmm. And like that, that makes the sheen of desire. It like very much threatens the way that we look at life and like what, what we might want. So I could totally see it playing on both levels like that. Yeah. And then on the relationship level for me, I just, think I get the image of like like two people looking at each other once like the initial like excitement of like an early relationship or like the early part of a relationship is gone once we've gotten past this like sort of um I don't want to say juvenile but like this this I don't know excitement that we only get really with early parts of relationships once we're beyond that then like that, the ways in which that excitement and that initial attraction and um, the ways in which that can cover, can color, sorry, our uh, perception of what that relationship is like is really interesting. Like it can really distort, I think, uh, what's really there. And it could turn out that like what's really there once we get past this initial attraction, once we get past the initial excitement is not a lot, is thin as eggshells. Like the connection isn't as substantial as we thought that it used to be. Exactly. Okay. I love that. Right. I love all of that. Cool. That like on upon reflection at the relationship level and also at the existential level, like shit was never as good as we thought it was. Right. Exactly. Shit was never as good as we thought it was. And like, yeah, like that the desire wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. That's sad. It is. It's sad. <laughs> <laughs> I was also reflecting on the idea of a kiln that won't be stilled. Um, mm. And I don't know exactly what to make of it, but um, we get like the image of a kiln, which is just like like a, basically an, a giant oven that is mm -hmm. used to put things in place, like to set the pottery into position as it's supposed to be, to cook things basically and harden them up. A thermally insulated chamber <laughs> that produces temperature sufficient to complete some process <laughs> such as hardening, drying, or chemical changes. Man, Sam, that definition you just pulled from the top of your head sounds like <laughs> remarkably <laughs> pr 
precise. Like the one that you had? <laughs> exactly. It's like just the one I had in my head. Wikipedia is the most legitimate resource. <laughs> um, right. Okay. So uh, we have that image, which is like already interesting. The idea that we want to like harden things and like um, make them more permanent, right? Like make them less malleable and make them yes. stick around longer. and More permanent. Yeah. That like that's the intention that we have, I think, throughout this whole song in many ways is like we're trying to make things stick and like it's not but happening. We can't because yeah. it's life. Exactly. Exactly. But we can't because it's life. Nothing and so exactly. And so like while we're not in this song building monuments um, to try to stick around, we're trying to like make a life, uh, make a life that's permanent, making a life to stick around. And that's just not happening for us. And so the kiln that won't be stilled in that sense then is like yeah like life exactly like this giant um thermally sealed chamber called life (laughs) that we are all living in as we're going i'm writing down alternate names for this song (laughs) this giant thermally sealed chamber exactly Called life. life. <laughs> it's the not. The ones I have are pioneering aeronaut and what are we all doing here? <laughs> you know, I mean, according to my interpretation of the song, those are both perfect. Those are all perfect alternate titles. <laughs> uh... Yeah. And so, like, this life won't still, it won't stop for long enough to actually, like, harden these things into mm-hmm. being permanent. Can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Man, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Wow, I feel great about that. Thanks, Nikki, for your brilliance. Oh, my God. Got it. Thank you for those kind words. I have no fucking idea what I'm talking about, though. This is all such a a shot in the dark. Um, One thing I wanted to mention about the veil mm -hmm. is that in looking up the veil has lifted or to lift the veil as a saying it was used a lot in like religious sentiments so as like the sky cleared and i saw god i saw through the fog and the answer was there right this this like kind of consciousness raising thing and i think that fits really well here too like once that veil of desire is lifted either the desire to live or the desire to continue this relationship um you lift that veil and the sky clears you see through the fog and it's like uh oh Mm. yeah Yeah. (laughs) maybe not (laughs) yeah totally absolutely and then just the invocation of eggshells here right from the get-go i think might also be speaking to like on the relationship level we get the fertility picture maybe um where like cis women have these like literal eggs within us that are just like waiting to be fired yeah exactly like waiting to exactly like be instantiated and are are teeming with life but like also are so fragile and like you break it and that's it as we had said before and then also um 
what was I going to say about the existential version? I forget now. But just like the idea that there's that, like this life, this potential sort of within, this potential life sort of within the shell. But like men, that's a thin line between something and nothing. Yeah. Do you know that children's book, Something from Nothing? No, but my other thesis statement of this song is literally something from nothing because apparently that's an blowing coals is an idiom for some, making something from nothing. So this sounds particularly relevant. So you don't know it. No. I'm going to share my screen with you Please for do. a second and we're going to read an excerpt together because this is um, – I worked at a lot when I lived in Montreal. I worked in many Jewish care centers, daycares, oh. um, and this was – um, a classic. Can you see my screen yep, here? Yep. Oh, I don't think it's going to let us read more than one page. So the, the something from nothing is a children's book by Phoebe Gilman. And it's like, um, taking one piece of cloth to make a hundred different things. So, um, I forget how it goes, but it goes with like, there was a blanket and then the mother made the blanket into a coat for her son. And then the coat got too rough. So she made a vest and then the vest was too small. So she made a tie and then the tie was too small. So she made a scarf or a scarf and then a tie and then like a bow tie. And then at the end of the story, this thing that was once a blanket is turned into like clothes for mice. And it's really cute because on every page of the book, you can see the little mouse family. You can see it oh. here. They're like their entire house is made from the scraps of, um, of this one blanket. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's super cute. Yeah. It's a really lovely little story. I think really, really cute. Um. Oh, I'm now looking at your screen going to the something from nothing Wikipedia page and it was talking about physics for a second, which got me. Oh, it's adapted from an old Yiddish tale. Really cool. It was adapted later for television. I don't know about that. <laughs> I feel like it's a one, one tune plot. <laughs> she also wrote The Balloon Tree? Oh, no, that's not what I'm thinking it is. She also wrote Jillian Jiggs. I don't know what that is either. Jillian, Jillian, Jillian Jiggs. It looks like your room has been lived in by pigs. Oh, that sounds a little familiar once you say that. I clean it as promised as soon. I'll clean it, I promise, as soon as I threw. I'll clean it, I promise, I promise, I do. Man, no, no. I love kids. Lit. <laughs> I should have been a librarian. You, that should have been should, nice. You should still write children's books. Oh, I don't want to write them. Oh, I just want to okay. read them. <laughs> <laughs> children's literature is so fun it is it's fun. so interesting totally but also horrifying it can be a hundred percent oh my god i sent <laughs> i sent you earlier this week just some racist shit in uh, this like book i got for lola yes. it can be wild what we are communicating to our little children yep so pre-read those books before you read them to kids now I'm on this fucking tangent already, which I thought I was going to get to later, but your, your screen sharing got me all excited. And so I went to mm -hmm. something from nothing Wikipedia and got the like philosophy 
something from no, nothing disambiguation. I absolutely would. It redirected me towards a page for the uh, under the entry creatio creatio ex nihilo. So creation mm-hmm. out of nothing. You know what? I'm going to save this. I'm going to save this until we get to the blowing coals part, which is coming up right away. But let's just hold off for a moment. Okay. Uh, Of, uh, on Genius, of the first line, um, somebody wrote, I'll just read the entry, because there's not actually a lot of um, entries on on the Genius page Nothing. for this song yeah like really when i want to be lazy i'm just like okay what is genius <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can't do this i <laughs> don't think anything so except for this first line i mean there are a couple more after but this first line um the annotation for it is that kilns are an ancient and modern technology so there's that juxtaposition again of like time um so kilns are used to make things like bricks and ceramics, which need hardening, and used to dry other things like crops and wood. Some kilns are egg-shaped. They trap heat like ovens. Um, this kiln doesn't cool down. It won't be stilled. And because of the heat or because of the inexperience of the users, the items they made in the kiln were flawed. Ceramic glazes are fixed or set by sitting in the kiln. And if they did not set well, the thing they made out the thing they made didn't turn out as good as they expected. Um, which is pretty much, I think, what we had said-ish, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think so. Um, someone else on Genius says, the kiln that won't be stilled seems to be another reference to time, time's inexorable move forward and to life wherein what we create in terms of events and experiences cannot be undone, even if they don't turn out as we might have hoped. Interesting shit to keep in mind. Yeah, I think that speaks to, like, those great ideas of intention and product. Totally. Yeah. Um, one thing that I found, which probably has no relevance, but I thought I would mention it, is that um, kiln used to be pronounced kill. Um, so apparently you would know about this much better than I would, Sam, but there's this, I guess, movement in language or this tendency for um, if the original word had an unpronounced letter, like um, the way that kiln was initially pronounced was kill. And so there's that Mm -hmm. silent N at the end of it. And that's always reading that like when there's that sort of silent N, uh, what happens over time is that that tends to morph into a word where the N is in fact pronounced just because of these like, um, consistent mispronunciations of it becoming so ubiquitous that like we all just end up accepting the mispronunciation as the actual pronunciation and so apparently this is what happened with kiln which I thought was interesting given just like the themes of time having these pretty great effects on what we remember and yada 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 (laughs) and then just the theme of kill as a homophone um I thought might have been interesting. It is interesting. Language is wild. And the way that language changes or doesn't change over time, like the really nerdy example that is quoted in every linguistics class I've ever taken is like the Canadian shift of vowels. Oh. Like how our and I, I don't know if you, you – I'm sure your vowels have changed again because now you live in New York, but like how um, – 
all front vowels in oh am I gonna be able to remember this oh um I have a baby <gasps> you have a baby and a cat ran in and a dog and a David hi baby <laughs> Is it time for lunch? Yeah. But we're going to keep talking now. Voila. Voila. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So the vowel shift for Canadians. Yeah. Vowels just changed. I won't be able to remember the details. <laughs> it's something about the lowering of the tongue. Um, but you know how... Canadians say like bar car. Yes, yes. Bar. <laughs> That's there. Bar. Yeah, it's weird. It, it, my accent definitely has changed because, or at least like my perception of language has changed because now when mm. I go back to Winnipeg, I'm like, why are you guys all talking so weird? You didn't used to talk like this, but of course yeah. they did. <laughs> yeah, and it for sure changed as I moved across the country too. Um, I am peak Canada on the <laughs> West Coast right now. Peak Canada. Um, <clears throat> okay. Now, I think I have one more note for this verse, but I didn't, for some reason, cite my source. I think this is blessing all the b birds. There's just a paragraph of writing okay. that is not my own, and I'm. it has the style of um, blessing all the birds. So I'm going to credit it to them uh, but this little paragraph that I have says the narrator of this song alludes to how intentionally a relationship is built over a kiln what we built at the kiln that won't be still did not set well and then how it maybe intentionally as well fell thin as eggshells one perhaps never considers that a relationship could be so delicate and fragile that something forged by fire can so easily break but of course few fires are ever eternal and can easily be extinguished relationships fall apart because people yearn to leave where they are from and every season everybody uh, in every season somebody burns downtown taking turns taking a bus to take a train just playing about moose they hate their jobs they hate their responsibilities honey i've been paying my bills but honey it's been a long time since i've come to any use but for this narrator someone close to them and the other character in the song has been forced to leave by military conscription and it hurt me bad when i heard the news that you got the call and could not refuse all right so I just thought I would also read that. I probably should have read that sooner, but whatever. She's like, thank God. Thank God. She's so funny. It made me think of like, you know, when you really have to pee <laughs> and like the closer you get to your house, the more you have to pee. Totally. And the closer she got to your body, the more she was like, <laughs> I need this <laughs> mad panic. Totally. <laughs> Look at her grabbing at your necklace too. <laughs> she is such a good grabber. She, like, keeps looking up at me and just, like, smiling. Okay. Are we done with this first verse? I think so. Okay. All right. I will leave the second. Oh, sorry. Oh. Last thing. Yeah. We, I forget where you mentioned vessels already today, but we talked about vessels. Oh, maybe it was me. We talked about vessels as women and then we have vessels that we fired so i feel like that just also plays into um birth somehow 
the old vessels of desire. So the things that we made out of passion and the babies that we had or didn't have fell thin as eggshells. Maybe that's a baby birch thing. Ah, I could totally see that. Thank you guys so much for listening to part one of our discussion on goose eggs. We'll be back next week with part two. Uh, we think it's going to be a three-parter, so stay tuned for that. We have a email that you can send us a bunch of amazing, insightful comments as you guys are want to do, um, which is a hopeless endeavor at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group, which is a hopeless endeavor. Do you want to do some podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Not a Facebook endeavor. No. Nope. Um, Although I guess it is. <laughs> a little bit. Uh-huh. We have a Patreon there. You can find early episode releases and bonus episodes. I will link to that in the show notes. Sam runs the Instagram. It's a Hopeless Endeavor podcast. You can like things there or send us messages in the DMs. That would be lovely. Um, we post before all of our episodes, letting you know that that's happening. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week with part two. Bye.